Hello, everybody. My name is BJ. I'm a staff pastor here, if you haven't met me yet. And I'm just going to read over us today. <laughs> I heard that. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't think today's text is about motherhood, but I was given a microphone on my pastor, so here's a thought from Scripture on motherhood. I had that. I I couldn't help it. I like I thought of this as I was coming up here. I've heard it said that the greatest gift that God ever gave a human was um, blessing Mary with carrying the Messiah, carrying Jesus Himself, and and like I, it'd be hard to argue against that um, because of the relationship and the closeness that we experience with our mothers. I, I get why that's considered the greatest gift. And so I want to encourage all you mothers today with something very special that struck me about that. When Jesus was with his apostles and disciples, and he turned, and who did he say his mothers were? Those who hear and do the word and the will of God. And he looked around and he said, here are my mothers. That closeness, that relationship that availability God has with, with all of us. And that's, it's mind-blowing to me because um, in, in our passage this morning, while that's true about Jesus and his closeness to us, this is also true. And I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, me and Kami appreciate so much the tremendous amount of maternal care that's in this building um, for our son. I want to shout out a specific youth kid who I hear was exactly a mother to my little Dimitri down in the youth ministry. And she's just a girl, and she's already giving that maternal care. So thank you, Fishback. You know who you are. Good job. Appreciate you. So that's true about Jesus. This is also true about Jesus from John 10, verse 7. Jesus said again, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep, but I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father.
Thanks, BJ. I just thought you were going to keep going. I was already settling in. I was like, oh, BJ's going to preach this morning. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Really quickly, as you guys turn to Mark chapter 6, which is going to be our text of study this morning, um, as we continue um, going through this gospel account, the life of Jesus, I just would like to ask you guys to um, encourage the gals worship team that led us this morning, because they did such a wonderful job. Um, We're so proud of um, just all the worship team members who work so hard, not only to um, not be distracting in worship, but to bring us into uh, the presence of the Lord and to direct our attention uh, to him. So I'm so thankful for you gals. You're doing such a wonderful job, and we just love you to death. Um, Isaac Newton once said this, I do not know what I may appear to the world, But to myself, I seem to have been only like a boy playing on the seashore and diverting myself in now and then, finding a smoother pebble or a prettier shell than ordinary, whilst the great ocean of truth lay all undiscovered before me. I feel that way. You may be like, wow, that's really odd coming out of the Good Shepherd and going into Mark chapter 6. There's a connection in my brain. As I look at the scriptures and as I study the scriptures, oftentimes I feel just like this when I read God's word, that that we are really, in essence, just picking up a notable pebble or a beautiful shell, and the depth and the fathomlessness of who God is is there in the water before us. And I don't know how anyone can stand on the shores of the sea and not feel small, not feel insignificant in some way and very humbled and then to think that Jesus came and he died on the cross for me the ocean is so humbling when we think about it in this sense and God in his word and in his creation he teaches us so much about who he is and he teaches us so much about who we are We open our Bibles on a Sunday morning, and I hope that you have your Bibles open in front of you. I hope that there's some awe, that there's some wonder, that the fathomless God has given us his word and has asked us to start to dip our feet into that water. As I was thinking about the ocean in that context this week, here's my train of thought. You're like, what? (laughs) I'm all emotional. Um, as I was thinking about the ocean in that context, the thought of day by day watching the tide come in and go out struck me. I thought about the rhythm that the ocean has to it, the waves rhythmically crashing on the rocks and shores, the waves come in, the waves go out. It occurred to me that while we individually or in our families have rhythms of our own, so too does the Christian life that we all share together corporately as the body. We have rhythms in this life. And just as the tide comes in and goes out, we have a healthy rhythm to go seek God personally, away from the presence of other people in private. And then we go back out of that privacy and that intimacy with God. And we, He's with us, but we go into the presence of each other. And there's a rhythm of how we do this. We come into this place where we seek the Lord and we have this intimate personal relationship with Him. And yet we can't stay there because He calls us then to shift out and to go and to interact and not only to be a part of a church of His body, 
but also to be in the world and not of it. It's a rhythm that's healthy in our lives. To be filled by God and to go out into the presence of people. It's like sleeping and working. We can't really work unless we've had our time to rest, and we don't really rest that well unless we've worked. There are seasons of work and seasons of rest, and we experience this in the the micro or the daily situations, and we also experience it in the macro, which is the big picture level. See, this is the trouble of having a shared microphone piece. Todd, your ear's bigger than mine. You guys, I think that Scripture speaks to this often because you recognize that Jesus values both work and rest in his ministry. He highlights it in several different places. And Scripture speaks to it so clearly, but I think that when you see, especially as you read the Proverbs, especially as you read the poetic passages of the Old Testament, you definitely see work and rest highlighted in different ways. But if we want to see what it looks like in human flesh, in the, it, like basically, if we want to see the work-rest rhythm perfectly personified, we need to look at Jesus. We want to look, return to how he did it. And our text this morning begins with the disciples of Jesus, probably consider like a short-term missions. They come back as he sent them out at the beginning of Mark chapter 6, and they come back and they start reporting to him what had happened. They've been busy. They've been doing the work that he commissioned and sent them out to do. And so here, they return to him, and let's look at what happens as they get back, and it'll speak to this rhythm. But it's also going to speak to something that we understand about our work-rest rhythm, and that's disruption. We all know what it's like to have that rhythm disturbed, don't we? I don't know anyone who has a perfect work-rest rhythm that never gets interrupted, especially if you're a parent. So let's take a look at this in Mark chapter 6. We're going to read verses 30 through 34, picking up where we left off last week, and then we'll go a little bit further, but let's focus on these verses to begin with. Word of God says this, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place, but many saw them leaving and recognized them and they ran on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. What a beautiful passage. Because there's so much within this that we can both understand and sympathize with, but also there's this key little nugget in the midst of it, if you will, of who our Lord is. It's so encouraging to me at the onset that Jesus recognizes because he sympathizes when his disciples need a break, not just from work, but from people as well. This part really ministers to some of you. You're like, oh yes, yes, I need a break from the people in my life, <laughs> right? God recognizes that. Jesus recognizes that. There's so many people coming and going, they don't have time. To even eat a meal together, there's just too much activity. And Jesus himself says these words that so many of you just love, come away by yourselves. We need to get away from the, from the fray here, right? Rest was important to Jesus. And there's, 
more than once an instance that he would either withdraw himself or situations like this one where he would pull the disciples away from that fray and say, you need to rest, you need to be with me for a little while. So church, we need to remember at the very onset and in this context that there are two dangers to be careful of in this topic of work and rest, and it's discovering balance. We need to discover balance in in our lives. The first danger is that we can fall into a place of too much engagement. There's a danger of too much engagement. I would say this is a very westernized and a very American problem. Because I can't tell you how many people I know who I look at their life. As a pastor, I'm like, I don't know how you're doing it. I don't know how you're making it to that many practices. I don't know how you're holding down that many hobbies, how you're working that job, how you're making that meal. There has to be some top ramen in your life because there's no other space. There's no margin whatsoever. The margin, I mean, the words are all the way to the edge of the page. And maybe some of you are like, yes and amen, right? Like this really speaks to me right now. You guys, we fill our lives with so much activity, hobbies, sports, even church events. We can even look and say, well, this is what churches do. Let's get it on the calendar or else we're not going to be like all the other ones. But how often do we step away from our frenetic lives and honestly assess whether what we have filled our lives with is kingdom centric? Are you filling your life and the lives of your family members, your children, the people around you, are you filling their life with activity that is kingdom centric? You can play sports. I love playing sports. You can play sports and be kingdom centric. But if you are rejecting your devotional life with Jesus, if you are rejecting your time in the word or time fellowshipping, fellowshipping with the body to do that, we might have a problem. We might have an issue. And that's for you to assess between you and the Lord. You guys, how often have we forsaken doing rhythmic, personal, or family devotional time, just as an example, because we just don't have time for that. Our schedules are too busy. We have too much going on. And trust me, I have five kids, two are adults. This is not easy. It is not easy to make time to be together and to be with the Lord and to prioritize And if it was easy, we would find rhythm and balance to not be challenging, but here we are. So the danger of the topic of work and rest is, at first, we might engage too much. The second is its opposite. There's a danger of too much withdrawal. There's a danger of us withdrawing from too much and not being a part of things that are around us. This is why it's not as easy as cut and dry. Here's the formula. I got three quick points. It's going to fix your life. Go right? There's more to it. We have to look at this individually and we have to find balance in our own lives. The second danger is the opposite of too much engagement. It's not enough. It's pulling back. It's isolation. In a society that in many ways emphasizes having me time as well, too much withdrawal will make personal time about binge watching all three seasons of that favorite show of yours and not about being in the word. Trust me, I enjoy shows. But if I look at my time spent watching television, looking at my phone screen, yes, I'm going to throw this snake right into the middle of the room. And then I start keeping track of how much time I spend in my Bible and in prayer and with my family. Let's make some adjustments. Let's find a better balance. 
Again, that's for you to assess on your own. I don't live in your house. It'd be fun if I did, but I, I don't. <laughs> It'd be even weirder if you found out that I was living in your home. <laughs> that just struck me. <laughs> uh, you pull down the plaster, and there's Mike, like Joel Osteen's money. <laughs> just kidding. Okay, so... there. <laughs> Maybe I'll edit that out, but probably not. <laughs> you guys, there needs to be a balance, and seeking for that balance is something that we must do. I'm sorry, I'm making myself laugh. Because Jesus sought for it himself. Jesus sought for balance for himself and the disciples. Jesus recognized when rest was important. And what's funny about this, funny ha-ha a little bit, but mostly funny hmm, what's funny about this is that in the midst of Jesus seeking for this better balance with his disciples, his plan gets thwarted. Jesus allows people to interrupt his plans. And this is crazy to me because the plans change. And if we want to know how to handle a thwarted plan, watch how Jesus handles it. So the people see them leave on the boat. Now on a calm day on the Sea of Galilee, it's slow going. It's going to be slow going to get from whatever side you're getting. We picture like I'm going to this side. I'm just going to shoot across the lake. They probably kind of went along the shoreline. Now, wouldn't it be funny, maybe not being in the disciples' shoes, but to observe as you're skirting the shoreline to get to the next village in your boat, if you see all these people on the shore, and they're outrunning you, they're outrunning you to your destination. If you're the disciples and you're tired and you just poured yourself into ministry and Jesus himself has said, let's get away, you might be a hair miffed. You might be a little frustrated that you're getting outrun by these shore urchins. Now, not even in the notes. Many saw them leaving and recognized them and they ran on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. Now look at Jesus. Remember, all throughout the Gospel of Mark, look at Jesus. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he starts to teach them. The people beat them to their destination. How do we react when our plans get dashed to spend to rest, even when it was Jesus' plan? Even when it was a good thing? You are wrecking my good thing. You are taking from me that which I deserve. Rest. How entitled have I been in the past because my desire for rest or something else wasn't wrong. But it got thrown to the winds because people got in the way. You ever thought the words in this context or maybe you're thinking it now if you were there in their shoes. Lord, you know I need this break getting back in the boat i'm going to the other side let's see if they can do it again (laughs) right (laughs) and there's bigger smiles and there's smaller smiles and the bigger ones were thinking it you guys how often do we want to see how much wind people have in them to keep up all right fine i'm just going to take off and like see how you can keep up with me now (laughs) i deserve my rest You guys, I don't know how the disciples felt about seeing the crowd waiting for them gathered on the shore of the lake. I know how I might have felt, but what matters most is how Jesus handled it. What matters most is what Jesus did. And he has compassion because they're like sheep without a shepherd. 
there are three things I think that we need to remember about sheep. And it's funny because culturally right now, to be called a sheep is a very insulting thing. Right? You've probably heard the term sheeple. Right? Don't be a sheep. Why? Why shouldn't I be a sheep? Because sheep are stupid. Fair point. (laughs) Sheep can't keep themselves alive. Also true. Sheep can't eat. Not if they don't, aren't led somewhere, you're right. Because these are things we know about sheep. I'm just going to make this worse. If you're like, oh yeah, sheep, like we got to think about the positive view of sheep. Sheep without a shepherd are lost. Sheep without a shepherd cannot find pasture or food. Sheep without a shepherd are defenseless. And Jesus says, to, to talk like a, someone who's from Texas, y'all are sheep. We're all sheep. We're not lions. We're sheep, and we need a shepherd. That's a very humbling posture. It's a very humbling thing to be called. And it's not very popular in our culture. It's not even that popular, I would say, in the church to be called a sheep. But I think that we need to understand the difference of culturally being called a sheep and biblically being called one. And I think that biblically being called a sheep is very, very important and it's humbling and it puts us right where we belong and that's under the loving care of the good shepherd which BJ read about in John chapter 10. We need to be in the care of the good shepherd. We need to be led by him. We need to be fed by him. And we need to be protected by him. Look at Psalm 23, verses 1 through 4. In light of this passage, Jesus seeing these people and recognizing that they're like sheep without a shepherd. David writes, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You ever, just one little thing about that. You ever wonder what the rod and the staff of the shepherd was for? I've actually heard it said, it's to keep the sheep in line. No, you herd sheep, you don't beat them. The rod and the staff are for the predators. His rod and his staff was for protection. Jesus is the personification of Psalm 23 and Mark 6. He is what that looks like in real life. Seeing these people and saying they need to be led, they need to be fed, and they need to be protected. Jesus cares just as he showed his disciples throughout his incarnate life that he not just cares about our spiritual health, but in caring for our spiritual health, he cares for our physical health as well. Jesus had a very holistic approach to care. So notice this. He cares about their rest. He cares about the spiritual health of these people as he starts to teach them, and he also cares about their hunger. He cares about them being physically fed. Don't you just love the Lord? Like when you watch him through the Bible, it's, it's funny how so many people get so jaded towards religion. And I think I can understand that. I can never be jaded looking at Jesus. It just makes me want to be near him. 
It just makes me want to be close to him. Look at him. When it grew late, verse 35 says, his disciples approached him and said, this place is deserted and it's already late. Send them away so that they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. Jesus said, you give them something to eat. I still, to this day, want to know how he said that, like just the tone of his voice. They said to him, should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? He asked them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then he instructed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. He took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. He kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were 5,000 men. Just read that like you've never read it before. Receive that like you've never heard it before as absolute truth. Here we have the only miracle of Jesus that's recorded in all four Gospels. This is the only one. That's how heavy of an impression it made on the disciples. This is a significant miracle. Its impact on the disciples was powerful. And it began with two very different responses to the people's need. Two very different responses. The disciples said what? Send them away. And Jesus said what? You feed them. The disciples very practically ask, where's the money going to come from? Because they're thinking practical, physical, still. They're still thinking practically in the way that we often do. How in the world are we going to do this? I mean, that's... 200 days wages. After all, we shouldn't forget that they just returned from their mission of evangelism. Don't forget that from the beginning of the chapter. Here's why it's significant. In Mark 6, 8, it said, Jesus himself instructed them to take nothing for the road except a staff, no bread, no traveling bag, no money in their belts. It's interesting in the context of this, they get back, they're like, dude, this ministry's crazy. Just like, there's a lot of people coming and going. We need to get across the lake. So they go and the people chase them down and they get off and they're there and they're, Jesus just loves these people and he's ministering to them. The disciples are like, I'm so tired. I just want to go home like my kids yesterday. And so they're all like, I just, all, sorry, <laughs> called you guys out. So, but they, there's like, I just want to go. Can we go, please? Can we go now? You know, this is like the story of every ministry family's children because we never leave. You know, I'm always talking to somebody. So they just want to go like, oh, come on, just send them away. Tell them to go to town and buy something. And Jesus says, you buy them food. And they're like, you told us not to take any bread and not to take any money. And Jesus is like, I can't, that's why I want to know how he said, is he like, I got you. Go find out how much food we got here. You know, we always picture Jesus like, no, listen. (laughs) I just don't think that's how it was. He was hanging out with the most ragtag group of guys. I imagine Jesus is like, guys, go find out how much food we have. 
right? And just, can you imagine the joy of Jesus? Like, you have no idea about, like, what's about to happen. This is going to blow your minds. Get your baskets out, boys. Okay, so, and that's not some metaphorical thing about God giving you all the money you want. You guys, (laughs) if you're looking for prosperity doctrine, it's not here. You should cheer. Um, The disciples, you guys, were focused on what they didn't have, were focused on what they didn't have, right? We don't have any money. We don't have any bread. You told us to do this without that. And Jesus says this, what do you have? They are focused on what they do not have. Jesus is focused on what they do have. What do you got? Bring what you have to me. Are you getting that? Is that connecting? Bring what you have to me. You guys, they come back and they say, we have five loaves of bread and we have two fish. What do you have? What do I have? Are you basing the value of what you have on yourself? Or how you see it? Maybe it's your gifting. Maybe it's your talents. Maybe it's what God has physically given to you. Are you basing its value on your own assessment or even the world's? Has given, or do we look at what God has given us in this life for in every single one of us something? And when Jesus says, what do you have? Do you bring it to him and say, this is what I have? What they had, John 6, 9 tells us, were these five barley loaves. Now that's interesting for me to note because don't think big loaf of bread. Think a roll. And understand this, that barley loaves were not the loaves that we're familiar with. They were more like rolls and they were also the food of the poorest people. Barley bread was the cheapest and the coarsest bread. This was not fancy bread. It's just what someone had on them. Probably lunch. It says they had two fish. It's interesting. We don't know for sure, but it's entirely possible that these were the size of sardines. You ever seen a sardine? Not huge. We're not talking salmon. You know. Tarchea which means the saltfish town was a well-known place on the lake from which the saltfish went out to all over the world. It was a huge export. The little saltfishes were eaten as a relish on dry rolls. It was very common if you had barley rolls that you would have these little saltfish to put on as a relish. So most likely this is lunch for one, maybe two, probably not 5,000, right? But they bring it to Jesus. And in the hands of Jesus' church, we have to remember this little as much. Whatever little we bring is much in his hands. It is much for him to use. Because it's Jesus who gives the instruction. And it's Jesus who blesses what is brought and distributes it to his disciples. It's Jesus who continues to make more and more of what is brought to him. And it is Jesus who then through the serving hands of his disciples feeds incredibly 5,000. And how much can he do with what we bring to him? If we bring the Lord what we have and say, I'm going to give this to you and I just want you to do with it whatever you want. And don't think that he's going to give you something that you can then hide away with in isolation by yourself because what he gave to them was to be served unto others. It was to be given. It was to be a blessing. It was to feed the multitudes. And his supply was so over the top beyond what they needed. 
It was so much more. He gave and the disciples served and everyone whom the good shepherd feeds will be satisfied. Jesus is not just making a physical point by feeding these people. He's making a spiritual point. And if you read John's account, it's right after this that the people come after Jesus looking for another lunch and he says, I am the bread of life. You're looking for physical satisfaction and I want to give you so much more. I want to show you what you were made for. In fact, Jesus says, I want to show you what I made you for. Everyone ate and was satisfied. Jesus reveals in his desire to give his disciples rest and with his compassion and the practical feeding of the people, the essence of his heart for Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, which says this, Jesus implored, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm lowly and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That ties together all the different things that we see Jesus do here. Both his seeking for rest for them, his compassion, his mercy, his teaching, his satisfaction of their hunger, both physically and spiritually. Jesus supplies and Jesus satisfies and notice that Jesus is more than enough. He's abundantly able to provide for us. They picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. And what do you know? There's 12 disciples. There's 12 apostles there. He gives to each one of them a basket heaping over the satisfaction of the people. All from five rolls and two fish. All from the disciples looking at Jesus and saying, send them away. And Jesus saying, you give them something to eat. You realize when Jesus calls you to do something, he will equip you to do it. When the Lord calls you to step out, when he calls you to live according to his will, when he calls you to obedience, he is going to equip you for that. And I'm going to say, looking at his word, that he has not just enough supply, but an abundant supply to give you more than enough to do what he has asked you to do. And how are we approaching our lives and looking at what he's given us and saying, if I start giving this to the, the people that God has entrusted to me, in the groups of hundreds and fifties, the disciples there feeding these people, if I'm, as I'm feeding these people, am I feeding them based off the Lord's endless supply or am I running on my own tank of sufficiency? Am I basing what I'm doing off my own strength? Because if you are, you will hit empty. You will run out of fuel. But if Jesus is the supply and he's the one, did you see it in the text? He's the one that's continuing to give them bread and continuing to give them fish. It's not multiplying as they walk away. Pop, 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 like all these little things happening. As they're, Whoa, look at that. I better hurry. It's not happening like that. Jesus is distributing it to them. It's coming from him. It's sourced in him. So when Jesus looks at us and says, you give them something to eat, church, we're not like, we don't have the ability to Jesus says, what do you have? Give it to me. And through you, I will feed these people. What do you want to see happen in this community? What do you want to see the Lord do? What is it the Lord's burdening your heart with? Stop trying to do it on your own. Take that desire. Take what you have and say, Lord, I have this and little as much in your hands. Do with it whatever you want. Use me. 
feed people. Care for people through me. Through my life. I'll serve as long as it keeps coming. I'll just keep going. Because he is my strength and my supply. Even in the weakness, even in the fatigue, these disciples are watching Jesus do something amazing, so impactful that every gospel account records it. We're struggling with the command and the call of the Lord. Maybe we're struggling with obedience. Maybe we're struggling with walking out the path that's before us. I want to remind you, church, if we're having a hard time, He sympathizes with us. He cares for us like a shepherd cares for his sheep. And if we're running on empty, it's not because He's insufficient. He's reminding us to shift our supply train. It needs to go back to Him. So what do you have to bring? What do you have to give to Him? Give it to Him. Don't hold on to it. And don't use it for yourself. Bring your gifting, bring your calling to the Lord and ask Him to use it for His glory. He'll supply, He'll satisfy and he'll do all that abundantly because in his hands little is much. It's true. Worship team, would you guys come on up? And I'm going to ask church if you would bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to read a psalm over us as we close. And as we take some time to just worship. But this is really... Um, Psalm 63 is really the heart that I want for us as a church. It's something that the Lord stirred me with and ministered to me with this week. And so I want to read this and then I'll pray and then we'll sing and, and just um, praise Jesus for all that he is and all he's done. Psalm 63 verses 1 through 8. And let's do this with our eyes closed and our heads bowed if possible. Let's make this our prayer. God, you are my God, and I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you, my body faints for you, in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. So I will bless you as long as I live, at your name, I will lift my hands. You satisfy me as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I think of you as I lie on my bed, I meditate on you during the night watches. Because you are my helper, I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. I follow close to you. Your right hand holds on to me. Jesus, as we think about those words, as we think about being sheep on that hillside, and here comes our good shepherd. Not irritated that we sought for you there. Not frustrated. Living in human flesh and, and experiencing fatigue. Experiencing in every way, what we have experienced, yet without sin, you looked at the, the people right there on that hill just like us, and you had compassion. 
And instead of leaving people like us as sheep to wander, you sought for us. And you bought us. You made us your own. And Jesus, because of you, we know your name and you know ours. Lord, you've searched us. You've known us. You know what's going on in our heads. You know what's going on in our lives. And Lord, I pray that your church would respond to you. And as your spirit presses upon us in that gentle way, I ask, Lord, that we would set forth in our hands what you've given. Maybe it will resemble something as simple as a few rolls and a couple fish. And that we would say to you, Lord, we ask that you take this and do what you please with it. Lord, enable us to serve those around us and when we feel like we don't have the supply to do so. Would you give us what we need to satisfy? Not only our own hearts, but to serve others. And Lord, just keep working through us in that way. You've called your church to be your body. And so Lord, we thank you for that calling and we ask that as we worship, our eyes would be directed to you Our worship would be only for you. And Lord, that you would pour out your encouragement into us. We ask it in Jesus' name.